Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Okay, we need to do a trials and triumphs. I I feel like every time I forget what I talked about last, so I forgot where I've left off, you know, but hopefully the people listening have also forgotten. So then they're like, wait a second. She did tell us. Yes, yes, yes. Liz. I'll go first. I'll go Mm -hmm. first. I have a triumph that I'm pretty excited about. And I can't remember if I I talked about this before or (laughs) if it was early on and I was having mic problems because that's that's also an issue. So we have our basement has a couple rooms downstairs that it's mostly like dirt walk-in cellar, but there are a couple rooms that have cemented floors. And my husband in at the beginning of lockdown gutted them and Mm -hmm. took out all the mold, replaced all the drywall, made it this great art studio for himself. But now that oh, for him, now thought, yeah no, oh no for himself for himself yeah wee oui, wee oui. <laughs> right but now he's but now he's uh back to his original studio and so I'm I'm squatting and taking him back over that's so, wonderful nice. yeah that's awesome. so I've got my my own my own art studio and I haven't had that one in quite exciting. some time how so, so okay fun. what Super is nice. what's like your medium. What are, you, what are you doing down there? Like Mod Podge, paint? Um, no, mostly, like mostly conspiracy ink theory pin boards with yarn, knitting. <laughs> you, you, I think you've hit the nail. Uh, although on the head. I, although I think I know a lot of people that do that kind of work. <laughs> do you, Liz? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, totally. I all my friends are artists, and so I know a lot of people that a lot of make a lot of political art fun art um (laughs) but i do mostly watercolor ink colored pencil and then digital so what it's just but it's a it's a place oh ink wash yeah you taught me gouache so that you did you taught me so (laughs) i know you do it little little known fact karen and i get together at least for a a little bit every every few fridays and kind of Mm -hmm. go over go over like our new like what techniques we're doing yeah, like Liz is, um, because I obviously draw product, or that, and you all know this, but um, so there's a lot of times I've been working on bedding art or panel art, you know, just some 2D fabric design, essentially. And Liz is my um, my buddy pal who knows what's going on and has tons of tips and tricks and always has some plug-in that I've never heard of that, like, does it, like, in a flash <laughs> while I was, like, yeah. doing it the hard way. So, anyway, yes. Yeah. Side note, back to the side side note. I give tutorials on the side. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's what I'm doing. Didn't you paint the trim a fun color? I think I saw that somewhere. Oh, we did. We did. We had an extra can of like a soft green blue Mm, paint mm, that I was going that I was going to paint the hallway in our house, which our hallway is really a seven by nine room with six doors. It's random. But it connects. It connects. <laughs> it connects a whole bunch of rooms. But 
Sounds like a perfect haunted house area. I feel like every way. every pick a door little, little like craftsman has one of those. Mm-hmm. I call it the Scooby Doo room because like I feel like somebody's always like opening a door, coming out, <laughs> and closing a door, going in. But when we had the house painted, I bought this kind of like soft green blue to paint that room, and then at the last minute, I called my painter and said no I wanted it to be like a deep jewel tone emerald green and so I had this extra can of paint so we painted the trim in the art studio with this extra can of like pretty soft green blue yeah I and love it, looked it great I really liked it it looks so color. cute god I love a painted trim there are mm. great windows so it gets great light and it looks out into the backyard it's very nice so are you going to put like your office office down there or keep your office upstairs? And this is like art only. I think I'm going to keep my office upstairs just because. So just know, for messes. Just to, yeah, yeah, just for messes. This is your like keep it a messy space. open space. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could put one of my rolling work chairs down there either because the floor has a major crack in it, mm-hmm. like kind of a. 20 degree pitch is so, bad. <laughs> so not good for all day every day you would just be sliding around yeah we, there was a fig tree that was planted very close to the house and over dec- over decades and yeah. decades it completely cracked Came the foundation in. so that's that's one of the things we fixed our first year in the house was the foundation not oh, wow. like just stabilizing it yeah not fixing the floor I so, hear everybody yeah. loves doing that. Yeah. Moving in. <laughs> yeah, you can really see where your investment goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I just spent six, five figures and I can't tell. Great. Right. <laughs> so, I'm glad my house won't cave in, but, you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. The house is no longer sinking in that corner. It's great. That's huge. <laughs> Which means it's also no, no longer lifting in the opposite corner because mm. it does mm. that. Mm-hmm. I like how you're using hand gestures. They can't see that, Liz. I'm okay, kidding. teeter-totter. The house was teeter-tottering. Okay. I'd say that's your triumph. Did you have a yeah. What was the triumph? Triumph. Oh. Liz, you were supposed to have one of each. All right. You're out of here. I'm going next. Okay, go. My trial would be, um, as I continue to learn through the building process, that I am behind. Big shocker. (laughs) (laughs) So um, anyone listening, my current lesson is they have had the guy, the plumber come and start before we kind of knew they were coming. So we didn't do a walkthrough with our builder before he came again. So as you know, the architect draws the plans and then the builder makes those plans happen. Well, I will say my mistakes so far in learnings have been, I looked at the plans. I looked like good. We investigated certain things, but I really didn't like focus on the layout that the architect, because they throw furniture in the plan, you know, like it was more of like, okay, yeah, this room fits a king bed and fits two nightstands. So getting to the main story, everything's always evolving, you know, oh, maybe we don't want a tub in there. Maybe we do want a shower. So things like that are changing, but the plumber came and it, we're all framed up, but it's like drilled all these holes and started putting plumbing in. And there's definitely like places we've changed our mind already. And because the plumber already can't, you know, so that was our, probably our most recent trial was just more of like, 
working through that communication because it's just like and you know you talk to the builder and you're like this is obviously our first time doing this like you know we now realize we really like whatever's in the architecture plans are like you know it's all these changes it's, it's are just hard to communicate yeah. yeah like there's no yeah it's not like the architect goes back and changes it every time you want a little change hey so we're not doing a you know like sink in the bar area we're just going to do a countertop because there's a sink nearby that was like a change well they plumbed for a sink in there when we'd already x that kind of thing so there's been a few kind of moving parts like that and mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll get ahead of it next time next next up would your takeaway be like to tell people to absolutely have their architectural plans like as just more like I solid just, as possible I just think more because like, yeah, for instance, I don't think our bedroom downstairs um, is very big. Like, again, he drew, the our, our architect drew in a king size bed and he drew, he drew two nightstands and it's on the wall. We want the bed. So, again, I looked at the plans and I was like, OK, that's a king bed. But I, it's not like he dimmed out the furniture and the architectural plan. You know, he just threw. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, once he I put a in, square in. Yeah. He put yeah. he puts a square in and you're like, oh, this is actually like, that's a nice thing. Like. Right. And so then again, when I go into the room planner, which we tell everyone to use. And so I've been using the room planner, our room planner now to like make sure I know where I want the bed. So I know where I want to put the AC units and the or not the registers or whatever. And I want to know where all the electrical goes because I want to have sconces over the bed. Well, I need to know what wall I'm on. And this is all the stuff a designer does. As y'all know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the nightstands were too small in the state. I was like, I don't know. We don't have nightstands that teeny. We'll definitely need sconces because I'm not going to be able to fit lamps if that's the side. Anyway, so I digress. My point is, is be more confirmed with how you feel would be. I should have studied more and done the layouts myself with furniture, existing furniture. I knew I had that I wanted to put in certain spaces. That would be my current learning. And I'm getting ahead with my builder this time. I told him, I was like, who's the next sub coming? I'd like to walk through the house with you before you meet with the sub. So HVAC is next, he said. And so I was like, okay, I do care where the the registers. Isn't that what you call them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do care. I want you to know where my furniture is going to be that maybe isn't in this plan so that you know not to put it there. Like, because I might. Or like next to a window where your drapes are going to go. Right. And we've heard that too. So, or I've learned that from being on this and all these great designers. And so I'm, anyway, HVAC's not on there. There are standards for it. So hopefully I can be part of that, but I just have to get ahead of him. And even electrical, we've changed a few mm-hmm. ideas. I'm like, well, maybe we do want a picture art light here. Anyway, I feel like I've oversconced my house, but Taren, we'll see. You need a scale. Do you have an, a scale? I do. I do. It just, I didn't. I loved using the scale. Yeah. I, I told y'all this before. I just found it so freeing to be able to like whip out your scale and be like, okay, I see that the plan has 36 inch. You're right. I should. I have stands it. or whatever it is. Yeah. Like it's just knowing how to use the scale. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot of like feeling like you're in charge and like mm-hmm. you yeah, understand. Ownership. Yeah. 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 yeah ownership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a, it's a great, anyway, I should pull it out. I should definitely, I have to, I got some trace paper cause I'm about to like, again, I'm trying to over communicate now. And I've also heard where people put up, they like pinned in the room. They like nailed to the boards, like what things look like. So I'm trying to get visuals and build them all oh, out. Yeah. So like, this is what it looks like and just slab it all over the walls. David has been writing on the floor. We're like trying to communicate as people but i don't i don't know yeah anyway 
Don't know if I'm doing it right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Well, I bet you could also just like do graph paper like Mm -hmm. to scale drawing. Yeah. I feel like telling someone you're drawing to scale seems really scary in the beginning because you're like, how do I do that? But when you have like some graph paper and a scale, it's it's really pretty easy. Yeah. And you can kind of mark red Mm -hmm. line like sconce here at this height or you know what I mean I don't know I guess I just feel like AutoCAD seems so so like scary to me yeah yeah but doing like a hand drawing where you can just like you said like sketch it out and just say like 36 inches or whatever the room plan has been fun too because again I'm dropping in like oh I want to plan in this corner Mm -hmm. so between that and actually and then I've been 3d rendering because that's a skill and the software I have thanks to my job so I can like whip up some cabinets so I've been trying to do that and we've already had a few different findings of like okay but like in all your free time Oh, yeah. My evenings are taken. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My evenings are gone. I do it. Yeah. No. From like once my kids go down to 1130 has been my like new. I used to do it about 10. I'm definitely like pulling some like late nights Mm -hmm. doing this. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just in case you were confused. My triumph, though, guys, is so exciting. I have some friends coming from London who, again, I haven't had people in forever because it you know, this past year has been wild and unsafe. And this is probably still unsafe. But they are coming for a friend's wedding. And I am so excited. So I'm hosting people. So I had to put on my, like, Karen hat and, like, be like, all right. <laughs> well, we have a three-bedroom re- rental. And the upstairs room, or I have, we, we use all the rooms right now. The baby has a crib in our guest room. So we'd have to move him to our room and or. So they have a partially finished basement where they like put down some linoleum and like drywall. And it's a little area where David works down in the basement. And then the rest is like storage. But it has big open door. It has two big doors to the outside and the light. So there's a wind. There are windows and a door. So there's lots of light. There is. So it feels semi okay. Anyway, I we had a queen bed in the back of the in our storage space like in the back of the basement all wrapped up and stuff in plastic and so I was like let's just pull those out and like make a room so I made a room down there got a fan little box fan so they can have some airflow and noise and I put all my bedding that I've had packed away because it's for my queen bed that I don't have out right now and so I got to pull out all my bedding and like wash it and put it down there and anyway I got to like pull things from around the house and like stage a nice little so fun it was so fun i haven't done it in so long it just felt so (laughs) good guys to like fluff things up do you know to like make a room out of nothing it just yeah that feeling and that adrenaline rush when you're like what oh that looks cute and then i I, like dragged some of my house plants down there because they have this big glass doors down there so there's lots of light so i was like ah my fiddle leaf over here and so it looks so lively got flowers got a candle put snacks bottled water um, I wrote the Wi-Fi password on a piece of paper and stuck it up on the bulletin board down there. I mean, You're talk such about a good host. Hosting. Yes, that is that is. Uh, except they well, are sleeping in the basement. So, but you know what? Okay, I do steep. feel like it speaks to something that I always believe about entertaining, but also just your house. Like it's as much about charm as it is good design those little things that you do like a house plan and a candle and a bottle of water like that can make a huge that can that can well, um, it makes make a guest for a lot yeah 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 and i had this collection of globes i know that sounds weird but david likes globes 
something he kind of collects. And I haven't, we don't have them on display, but I put them all up in this deep transom window that's like over where the bed is. I like stacked them all up too. So there's like all these little globes. And I was like, oh, because they're from London. They're from the other side of the pond. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'll just like roll their eyes at me, but I was very happy. And I hope, did I forget anything? I put towels in the little half bath down there. Um, All right. I, think I sometimes think like an extra blanket. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. I have a duvet folded I'm on the always bottom. Really yeah. Okay. So and I have a chair to sit hole. in. And I tried not to overstuff it because then there's no room for suitcases. So I did do that. So, okay. Anyway, if you think of anything, that was mine. I've talked forever. People are going to be annoyed. Books. Hmm. I haven't thought about like, books. Books or magazines? I don't know. I mean, I think I got some about trucks, like excavators. I can probably easily <laughs> grab from my three-year-old. I'll throw those down there. It's perfect. Okay, Caroline, I stole all the t- Oh, I did put down flowers. I did. I got some flowers and arranged them. Oh. No, I don't have anything like that crazy big. I have like lots of little things. I was trying to think. I couldn't remember if I had told you all about my hallway, the new hallway. Like I know I talked about the nursery a little you bit. You had talked about they were going to make it, but no. Yes. So, okay, we kind of had to, like, build – we had to sort of create a hallway. But, y'all, you know what's so, like, unexpected? The hallway is, like, one of my favorite parts of Interesting. this project that we did. Like, it turned out so cute. I – so – like we had already kind of had this window at the end of like what would have been the end of the hallway. So at the very end of the hallway is a window that looks out on like all green greenery. And I like put a put a shade in there. I got some curtains from our outlet, hung some curtains. And then I did like two really fabulous sconces from Stray Dog Designs. Did I tell you all about this? No. Okay. It's a company that, look it up. They're out. For some reason, I thought they were... They're out of Chattanooga and they make like they like hand make stuff in Mexico and they're like sort of paper mache. I have just known about them for years. I can't remember where. I mean, they have just like very quirky stuff. These little chandeliers are super fun. And I like how they look like they're made of paper mache, right? I know they're they're probably... Uh, I don't know. It is yes. made of... Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it is they made, are. It is made of paper mache. I don't know how to describe They're These like are... ugly cute. They're so <laughs> cute and playful. But you know, like, like they have this weird like... They have a hand to them and a playfulness for sure. Yeah. It almost reminds me a little bit of like Gaudi or like something that's kind of like brutalistic. I don't know. Like it's just very, and they're sort of like based on plants. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, everyone imperfect. listening is like, what in the stray dog world no, is she all, talking they're about? All super great, but they're really cool. Yeah. So I got one called Nini, and it's just <laughs> kind of has these little like pom poms on it. It looks sort of like a weird like app, like jungle plant or something. Oh man, this is great. I'm. I just looked it up. And I hope yeah, our listeners really, are looking it up too. It's really fun. I mean, they they're have so fun s- sconces and floor lamps and chandeliers and all sorts of, of great stuff. Anyway, so I but I really wanted yeah that's my that's the sconce that I got. So and I got it in the blue. super super <gasps> super stylized natural aesthetic and very playful. And you can order them in any color, like you and can they order have some a custom really, Benjamin Moore color. Basically. They have pretty bright colors too. Yeah, they have wild. Co- I I thought about doing a custom color, but ultimately, 
the lead time was already like six to eight weeks and I just wanted to get it done. So I picked one of their stocked colors. But I think if you had like Taryn, you, for example, if you knew that you had more time, a custom color would be great. And they just like the reason that I wanted these weird sconces is because there's like other it's sort of like your there's like three doors and that's kind of it. Three doors and a window. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of. There's not really, and there wasn't a light. There wasn't going to be an, an overhead light in there. But y'all, it is just like such a beautiful view. It's mm-hmm. sort of the view that if, that you see it's if you're like standing at the kitchen sink and like looking down the hallway. And it just, it turned yeah. out so nice. And it was, it was not like something I necessarily expected to like, but it just kind of turned out to be one of those happy, wonderful, like when you walk down it, you're happy. So what color did you do the walls? Just white. And what did you do the trim? White? Just everything's white. Did you pick out a, what shade did you put on this little fun, bobbly? So, okay, well, here's my next plan. (laughs) You know, I'm going to force my in-house artist (laughs) to do a project (laughs) for me. Love I always come up with weird projects for will if any of if y'all if anyone's been listening for long enough you know i'm always like i made will like do me 10 um botanical prints for my nursery i made him do that big yellow thing in my dining room i'm always like Mm -hmm. don't you want to volunteer to do a project but what i was thinking is doing getting like some paper shades i already bought the shade and then having him paint like a pattern or some sort of like fun funky pattern in the green from the outside and then the blue from the sconce Mm-hmm. And just sort of mm-hmm. like doing something fun and so wild. Fun. Because I really wanted a pattern shade, but I felt like some of the ones that we had, like the Ballard cells or that you can find on Etsy are like too traditional. I wanted something a little bit more, not mod, but just not Well, it's a very mod shape that's on the sconce. So to play yeah. off of that would be really fun. So he hasn't done it yet. We just sort of popped the white ones on for now and... We'll get to it. But that's my plan. My other thought was I want to do some wallpaper in the laundry room, which is off this hallway. So I might have him paint essentially the wallpaper pattern mm-hmm. on to the sconce. Fine. Not really sure there. For now, they're just white and they look great just white. But eventually, you know, we'll kind of hang some art around the sconces and, and maybe paint the sconces a fun, fun pattern. So that's been sort of that was sort of my happy accident. I love it. Let's see. Other so here's here's my trial. Okay, y'all may remember it back in the spring. I actually read Christopher Spitzmiller's book and he's gonna be on the show soon. So it'll be very timely. But he got me like all pumped up about doing some gardening and I ordered all these dahlias and all these peonies. Meanwhile, did this like a week before I found out I was pregnant and then I was like <laughs> deathly <laughs> ill. And then it was really hot outside in the summer and I just did not want to oh, go those outside poor plants. at yeah. all. So basically I was the world's worst plant mom this year. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> all of the dahlias that I planted would have done great because they did actually grow really well, but I never put a cage around them because I just, it was not, a I just, just, yeah, yeah, I just was no, you barely care yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would plant some again if and when I knew I could really devote attention to them. So that was kind of my trial. Sometimes Blair and I will like go out into the yard and there'll be like a Dahlia, like really trying to come up out of like the weeds. You're like, like, you you keep going, little one. Keep trying. You know, 
it's always about this time of year that I think about my lawn and I think about my yard and I'm like, well, I'm going to try again next spring. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's always next year. Always. But you know, it was a good, it was a good experiment. I, I probably would do them again, just maybe when I have a little bit more free time or like maybe when the, you know, the kids can like help me a little more, but yeah, this was just not my year. <laughs> this is just not my year at all. No, no. So that okay. was like my big, my big issue. But okay, I did want to talk about one other thing. Y'all, this is not a new, I've had it for a little while, but a couple of months ago, I got a cordless Dyson vacuum. Do either of y'all have one? Yes. Isn't it awesome? I don't. You, wait, do you have a cordless vacuum? No. Okay. okay you guys just like there was an awkward pause i apparently need to get this yes okay oh, i mean you know you do you sure but i no, have to no. say with Once the you with messes you don't go back no nope. it's amazing like no it makes vacuuming back. fun i don't know i can't do it with a baby <laughs> on one hip like, no. <laughs> there are many images of me holding a child now and me doing it with one hand not that you can't do that with the core, but you usually have to then unplug and then go replug it in another place. 100%. I think HSN and QVC sell mm-hmm. them, Liz. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I feel like my family already thinks that I have a vacuum problem because I've got How a many plug-in. do you own? Well, I have a regular Dyson, like an upright Dyson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have like I have like a a little Black & Decker like like a handheld you know, a handheld car you know. one. Yeah. And then I I got I recently got a robot vacuum, which oh, yeah. I love, oh. love, love, love him. And then yeah, another corded one for the basement. So that is a lot of vacuums. I yeah. Okay. I think I feel like with a robot vacuum, I'm, you're probably covered. Yeah, I'm the only one that vacuums in our house too. Like yeah. everyone else, like you turn it on and everybody runs. It's grape shot. Everybody <laughs> runs to a different corner of the house. They all hate the sound of the vacuum. I love it. I love it. It's like you're drawn to it. Instant, like it's instant gratification. I can <laughs> I do like yeah. I I do, I do like, like that vacuum. about vacuuming more than any other like mm. cleaning chore. Like you can immediately. Oh my gosh! And when you dump mm. that thing oh, out, you're like you're so grossed out and so satisfied. Yes. But anyway, yeah. okay. So when anyone... one of those kick a bucket. I get the cordless okay. yeah. Dyson and you will absolutely love it. It's okay. Great. Yeah, you will. I need Anyways, another one. Yeah. It was, it was pretty life changing. I was like, why have I had not, why have I not had one of these? For had I known we would have discussed <laughs> vacuums earlier. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, that was something that I've been, that I like saw on my list and I was like, I haven't talked about this. I need to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this one, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Dyson today. <laughs> and QVC. I did order it on QVC. See? Okay. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> that was a lot. That was a long oh, one. <laughs> also, um, just FYI, this is probably my last episode for a while. Yeah. Yay. So hopefully having a baby in like 48 hours. Me? I don't know. <laughs> Hope. Yep. Oh, right. You will just have um, Liz and I. <laughs> so we've recorded lots of episodes further out. So you'll yeah. be hearing my voice on many of our interviews, um, probably for another, I don't know, four to six weeks or something. But I think our, our old friend Karen is going to hop in and update y'all on some of the projects going on at her house. So she'll sort of 
come in for some trials and triumphs here and there. After that, I'll see you, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, <laughs> next year. I'm going to miss you all. Oh, Caroline, We're gonna this miss is so exciting. Too. We're only going to talk to the best designers while you're gone. <laughs> You'll have some good stuff coming up. And we, we recorded do. a lot of good stuff before my maternity leave starts. So I'm, and um, we have some good things in the, in the hopper for next year. So awesome. I'm already excited about that. We've awesome. been brainstorming. Yeah. Also, FYI, there's a survey, a podcast survey. So if you'll hopefully be hearing an ad for that. So be sure to take the survey because that's how we, we want to hear your feedback. So yes. that'll be great. Okay. That's all. Awesome. All of my PSAs. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is renowned architect Peter Penoyer. His 30-year-old firm has completed projects around the world and has grown to a team of over 50. He's written now seven books with his colleague Alice Walker, and we're delighted to talk about his most recent book coming out this October, Rowdy Meadow House Land Art. Peter, welcome back. Thank you so much, Caroline. Good to be here. It's a really special project, and I wonder if just by to dive in, you could kind of give people a background on this house. The The book details one particular property. It's very special. And um, sort of the vision for the house and the client and how it all got underway. Sure. So this is a house on 150 acres in Ohio, near Cleveland. A beautiful land with ravines, a river, apple orchards and meadows and forest and the house was designed for a family from scratch it's a new build um, and it has extraordinary art and furniture which we work with so many of them are really outstanding pieces of decorative art of the 20th century and and even contemporary works and it's set within a sculptured park so with the landscape architecture firm reed hildebrand and a great patron the client and 36 different artists. The land is now a show place for works by Ai Weiwei, Richard Serra, Andy Goldsworthy, Anish Kapoor, and, and many others. So it's an extraordinary place to be. And what I think excited all of us most about it was that our client has deeded the house and the sculpture park to the Cleveland Museum of Art with an endowment so it will be forever a public sculpture park at some point in the future. This made it really exciting and we're thrilled in my office to be able to meet some of the artists, although there was a sort of competition, I'd say, for the attention of the contractor, who I feel sorry for because he was, you know, on one hand getting pulled by the architect to do such and such on the construction of the house while Someone else, like Andy Goldsworthy, would be pulling his other arm and saying, no, help me build my dam or my wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so there was constant excitement, and our client supported all of our designing and, and decoration, which took many interesting turns. We traveled to Paris with the client and found furniture. We traveled to Italy and chose the blocks of stone that were ultimately fabricated for the bathrooms, the mantelpieces, the, the floors. And we also traveled in and around Prague in the Czech Republic to look at examples of the style that inspired this house, which is a very obscure style called Czech Kivism, 
And actually, I did not write the book. I wrote the introduction to the book, which is talking about cubism and how it influenced the design. There's a lot written about it by a lot of people with PhDs. So even writing the introduction <laughs> gave me a headache. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I, I wonder, I know you you know, you can't necessarily speak for the client, but I wonder if you can get some insight into sort of how, like where his vision came from. He obviously was a great patron of the Cleveland Museum of Art, but was he just collecting and then one day decided, like, I need to have a permanent home for all of these and then it grew or like what because it is a very unusual concept building essentially a museum that you're going to live in but then it becomes a public space so i think his passion for design and art was clear from the beginning and he knew that he was creating something that would go beyond his lifetime and so yes it just kept evolving but i think what was extraordinary was the relationships he did, he built with well, with me and my firm and my friends at the office, and also with the artists and the dealers and the experts and the curators. And so at some level, it's, it's all about the people he brought in, the builders, uh, the landscape architects, the this wonderful Amish crew of carpenters who then actually became so attached to the art part of the project that towards the end, he arranged for them to be trained as certified art handlers. So now they're, I think, the first Amish art handlers in America. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> wow. So, so, but really, I mean, that's just a detail and that's one relationship, but it was all about the people and the artists and he, mm -hmm. and we visited studios. It was just extraordinary. Okay, that is, and, and I know that everyone is like chomping at the bit trying to ask questions, but that is something that I was curious about throughout this whole book was the craftsmanship and was just wondering if all of the craftsmen were Ohio area. Do you bring them in? Like, do you, because the plaster work and the, so all of the work within the home, it just seems like only, not everyone could do that. You know, like where do right. you find so, these people? Yeah, and so, every so, detail is museum quality. So, right. So, so, so a number, a number of them, many of them were in fact Cleveland or Ohio based, the metal work, the stair railing, of the, some of the ironwork. One of the firms called Bros Ironworks has been around Cleveland for, I don't know, probably a hundred years. And in fact, one of their designs is in the Cleveland Museum already. And we started sometimes not understanding that we could call on resources locally. We had a uh, studio in Paris that does stained glass. We did a wall of stained glass in the powder room in an opaque presentation against a wall in a panel. And it turned out that there was an Ohio company that could do that. So th there were many local resources, but then there are also companies, vendors we worked with elsewhere in the country. Mm -hmm. A stair company in Massachusetts, a plaster company from Canada, a plaster company which actually carved, there's a mask of, we call it the Cubist goddess. There's a, a, a fountain mask in the grotto and that was sculpted at Hyde Park Moldings right here in Long Island. So many different craftsmen. And we found, uh, we in Prague met a woman who designed tiles for the project who thought that I would be with a woman named Svetlana uh, having breakfast <laughs> in Prague at the Mandarin talking about the pattern on a tile when I could have just gone to, you know, Anne Sachs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Could you kind of just give people a very brief... I don't think any of our listeners can really grasp the level of detail and the aesthetics of the house without seeing truly seeing the book because it is so incredible. But could you try to just describe a little bit about to give people an idea of what this Czech cubism 
sort of looks like and how it kind of evolved from that arts and crafts original concept and then sort of where it landed. Right. So it's it's really interesting that, first of all, uh, the word cubism is misleading because it makes one think of Paris and Matisse and Picasso and the kind of d- disruption of geometry and, and pulling things apart and having simultaneous views in the same view and breaking forms apart. In fact, this cubism is more like expressionism and it's highly symmetrical and it's based on obtuse angles and triangles and crystalline forms. There really aren't any cubes. So it starts out as a misnomer. It's a very obscure style that had a very short life from 1906 till the First World War. So it only lasted eight years. And it was invented and developed essentially by four or five architects and designers in Prague who were trained in Vienna, as all architects were in that area, as in the waning days of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and came to Prague and wanted to develop something that was unique and different and expressive of their budding nationality, their artistic point of view, and and very, in a way, opposed to classicism, but not to order, not to proportion. So it's, it's a highly disciplined way of looking at forms in a kind of angular way where the architecture uh, expressed forces of almost uh, kinetic forces, almost the way they do in, in, uh, in, in Gothic architecture. And there's some history in, in Bohemia of this kind of architecture, both in the Renaissance and in the Gothic eras. And so it's, it's a really challenging style. And my partner, Gregory Gil Martin, who actually drew the house, designed it, told me he felt like he was having to learn a new language. Yeah. And it is possible to carry those details through the interior so the ceilings are all faceted. Yeah, one of the things I noticed about in the book is there are floor plans, but there are also ceiling plans. I'm so glad you noticed that, that, Liz. It's so gorgeous. And every room has just the most unique details. Thank you. So, I mean, ceilings are so important in my firm's work because it's one place where the, the architect can really create something that's going to sort of frame the mood and feeling and atmosphere and proportion of a room. And so it was really extraordinary to be able to model all of these multifaceted ceilings. And they may look kind of over intricate and even busy on the reflected ceiling plans, which we call them. But in fact, the house is very calm to be in. It's not, it's not chaotic at all. It's Yeah, there are different, different views down hallways and in different photographs that make you feel as if you're standing or walking through a gemstone. It's really, really pretty stunning. Yeah. And there are other more specific influence. There's my favorite skyscraper in New York, Deco skyscraper, One Wall Street, which was the Irving Trust Company. There's a room, the banking hall in that room was just designed and completely covered in mosaics by a mosaicist named Hildreth Mayer. She did the project, I think it completed it in 1930. And that's been a room that's fascinated me since I was a child. My, we went there with our client and the building has been converted into apartments. So it sort of was messy and dusty, but we saw what was there and we were inspired and we found the same manufacturing in Venice where they blow the glass that makes those tiles. So they're not like traditional mosaics, they're glass. And, and that room was really uh, and an that's the first project. room you see when you walk into the. Yes, it's home. a little overpowering. And it has four niches for art, and the art hadn't arrived. So our client asked me if we could design historically correct dunce caps. 
and our, <laughs> and the Amish That's what those carpenters made are. stools. So we have four perfect dunce caps <clears throat> to remind him of, 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 of foolish things he'd done in his life. And I said, I hope not one of them was hiring me as your architect. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So what was the full, from beginning to end, scope of this project? How long was this? You know, it was probably, it, it started and stopped a little bit at the beginning. So that was two years and it took almost three years to build. So it was a long, it was a long haul. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there were extensive construction on the site. Bringing Richard Sarah Steele in was a project in itself. There's another project by Justin Lowe and Jonah Friedman, which is a series of rooms which were installed way underground, 18 feet underground. So that was the bunker. Yeah. And the bunker took a lot of attention for two years. <laughs> so from the, from the images of that, you, you don't see anything but a doorway? That's it. So there's a yeah. doorway in a field. Yeah. That's it. And you open the door and you're immediately plunged down this long, 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 long stair. And then you're in this bizarre world with vitrines and odd displays and a lounge that's carpeted, even the ceiling and a, a theater, but showing an experimental film and uh, all sorts of bizarre things. That alone sounds like it would take three years. <laughs> so three years for this entire property just doesn't seem like it's that seems like it was pretty that reasonable. Long. Yeah, right, was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of interesting projects, and the furniture itself is really interesting. If you're if you love Jean-Michel Frank, it has the most extraordinary dining table we ever designed. It was for the Bourne family in Argentina. And of course, getting used to our climate, it sort of warped. It was, oh, it was warped. So that took a year of a conservator, you know, figuring that out. And now it's perfect. Oh, wow. um, and then Eileen Gray's famous Lee Perzan, it's called, it's a day bed, just beautifully gessoed with gold on, on this red breast background. And that we had to design a support for it because it, in case anyone, God forbid, actually sat on it. Um, we, my, so we had to support it because this furniture isn't in a museum, it's in a house and people sit on it. So, Right. That was something that I sort of was very curious about because it sounded, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like he was collecting while y'all were still in the design phase. So then what, what happens when he calls and he's like, I just bought this dining table, you know, I or I assume you were maybe there for many of these so, acquisitions. No, or? So, so he, we were in the loop the whole time. He had really great advice from people who devote their lives to understanding the history of furniture, including Barbara Dysroth, who would understand whether something was authentic and correct and why mm-hmm. it was important. But he would always show it to us, and and we'd help him see how things would fit. So. It, we were all in the loop as things went on. So he never, he never was like, "Oops, I bought another sculpture." Well, there was something that I bought. With, <laughs> yeah, we we bought a bronze Art Deco turkey in Paris, or he did that. I thought was beautiful, and then when it got there, no one could figure out where it should actually sit. It was kind of an awkward <laughs> thing. This big bronze turkey, um, and so that no, he was incredibly thoughtful. But we were very patient about. Uh, for, there's extraordinary uh, Viennese lamps, um, uh, you know, Otto Wagner and Hoffman lamps that some of which didn't needed lampshades, or one of them actually had a lampshade from like 1903 on it. And just the project of getting those lampshades fabricated that were 
correct, the right shape, the right fabric. There was uh, a lot of research that went into that. Having things wired that were that special, you had to be very, very careful. I think we actually, if anyone remembers, Peter and um, his colleague Alice Walker were or no, um, Alice Engel. Alice, Alice Engel, Engel yes. where um, too many Alice's were on the show last fall. And I think we actually talked about the lampshades and the yes, the, the very the, the lampshade plan. <laughs> right. Um, well, I was curious if, it, I mean, because everything is museum quality and has not only like the fine art collection, but also the decorative arts of the furniture collections, was it difficult to make it also feel like a home? Because it's not a museum yet. Like, was it difficult to give it the warmth and comfort of a house? So, I mean, I think the upholstered furniture is all really comfortable and inviting and not intimidating at all. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, some of the furniture that you think of as being museum pieces is just wonderful 20th century design, which is totally functional and solid. Um, there's a card table and it's a Sornet card table with Sornet chairs, but they're totally comfortable, solid, normal. And you feel mm-hmm. like you're not, you, there's nothing in the house you're going to break. But I think that the palette, it was chosen to really it was studied to be very, very enveloping, so that things didn't mm. pop out too much. You don't want too many characters vying for attention in one room. It was it was challenging. I would say so, especially yeah. with all the art as well as the furniture and your architecture and the math behind all of this. Just seems so nuts. <laughs> as Taryn covers her face, just thinking of the math. <laughs> I think that's where I I even saw the front, the, literally the front page, and I was like, oh gosh, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. The you mean the math, just the math involved, just in the, the math involved yeah. in this. And again, I didn't do anything but open the book and look at. It. <laughs> even again, you speak to the tile, and even oh, the tile in the screened porch. Oh, area. Yes. Well, that's really interesting. Um, mosaic that's made in Morocco. Um, and I first found that when I was traveling with my wife, Katie, there, you know, probably 20 years ago, we were in Fez and we discovered this place where they were actually making the tiles, baking the clay, making the tiles, cutting them and doing all the glazing. And it was a government sponsored effort to try to resuscitate this craft that was almost gone. You know, they, they sort of brought it back. And the first time we used it, um, the vendor came all the way from Morocco and sent boxes by UPS International of all the little pieces and then was down on his knees for days setting it all. So oh, luckily wow. they've sort of gotten with the program and now they do it in panels. And they, But, but th- this <laughs> okay. time they did it to our design. So that was actually our designing, which has the colors and is sort of Wiener Werkstatt meets Morocco. Yeah, the colors are so vivid, greens and purples and burgundies and the light gray. It's really stunning. And And that was the only room where we made a mistake, and our client was very forgiving about it. So you have all those wonderful colors and all the wonderful pattern. And then I think we ended up with some sort of very rough-looking but beautiful terracotta tile um, on the floor of that room. And and he said, what did he say? He said, it's a little bit like uh, Sangria meets Vienna. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that, so that has a new tile floor that actually is also from, <laughs> from Morocco. Hey, if that's the only one with the intricacy of this project, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And he also did have to change the shape of the art gallery. Well, the, there's, there was one flat wall in the art gallery that opens up totally into the garage so you can deliver art. 
you know, sort okay. of the pathway for art in a house like this is really important because you want to be able to move things around. You need access. So we made a movable wall at the back of the garage so you could really deliver things uh, the way we've done when we work with art storage and display. Uh, but there's um, the, the, the room had to change a little uh, to accommodate Damien Hurst's triptych because so the walls fold back and but but they still move they're still hinged <laughs> so for our listeners the majority of the basement the basement you know yes. i'm using that word very very loosely the lower level is an entire art gallery it's an it, exactly it's an art yeah. gallery i think some pieces could move but not some of them won't there's a Ai Weiwei created a meter cube of glass, which is sounds very simple, but actually absolutely technically amazing to make uh, a cube of glass that size uh, with no cracks or anything. Yeah. It's, it sort of begs the question is how, how that physically can be done. There was also that incredible sort of thing made out of the dog tags, the coat. Oh, yes. Uh, like, you know. Um... Right. So that's, yeah, so that's a, an amazing um, sculpture um, by Doho So. And um, it's it, those are actual dog tags. It's the astonishing object in the middle of the room. Yeah, there, uh, there are not many places you can put something like that. Yeah. You know, because it's so large. How is it so many of the pieces of the, the decorative art pieces and furniture are from the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s? How was it mixing that furniture style and creating that kind of as a basis for for the style of the home or or mixing that in with kind of the more modern take of the Czech cubism? So, I mean, I think that as to the interiors, I think the upholstered furniture, the sofas and the club chairs are fairly simple shapes and there isn't a lot of pattern and it just was a puzzle of where to place furniture so that it didn't look too much like it was on display, but it had to convincingly part of be, you know, a welcoming room. And I'd say it's hard to describe how that happens. Alice did a wonderful job and the coloring helped in the library, which is an oak room. We actually did virtual reality renderings of that room showing different colors of, of wood and then also with the, with the art in place. And that really helped. The tone of the wood kind of pulls it all together. That has the most elaborate ceiling. And in fact, we kept finding light fixtures that didn't quite work in that room. So eventually, our client commissioned a, a competition, which we helped run for design students to design the perfect chandelier for that room. And t two people won. And it was a good, good prize. I think he gave them $10,000. And it was a RISD student. And we ended up using the design in the front in the in the mosaic room. And the room ended up having no light at all. In fact, it has these kinetic sculptures by Studio Drift, which are like, um, they look like soft fabric dresses in the picture, and they rise and they go up and down and open and close like umbrellas um, to some algorithm. And every one of those had to have a motor <laughs> and an internet connection and everything. It was... Oh, wow. <laughs> challenging to uh to lay that out but so there is no light fixture in the ceiling i mean there there are indirect lights but what was the team i mean if you could just estimate how what was the team of people that worked on this house i mean like three two well the, yeah the credits and... must have 200 names in the credits and, <laughs> yeah. and there's no one who wasn't 
you know, important. I mean, everyone is really important. Um, and it was, it, it, I mean, the geometries made it really demanding and challenging and the builder was patient and there were a lot of really, really wonderful people involved. I convinced him that I had to go to Italy to make sure that the bathtub, which was carved from one block of onyx and the mantles and the sink were all correct before they were created. Because Absolutely. I said, it's, it's really awkward when you uncrate a bathtub in Ohio and you say, darn, it's cracked or something. Mm -hmm. You can't send it back. So, <laughs> and that, that was a really, so I made three trips to Pietrasanta, Italy, and that was really special. No, she didn't on that one. But that, that was really special, and seeing the stone and the, and the carving, and the, that was extraordinary. And I learned so much. I felt like I learned so much about stone, about wood, about tile, about mm -hmm. furniture. I know that y'all, your, your firm did not do the landscape architecture, but I'm curious if we could speak to that for a little bit because I assume that something maybe that looks very natural and organic maybe also takes a lot of work to get it to that place. You know, some of the views and the meadows, like, right. was it, I mean, what, I, what was the, the process of that? And the firm is Reed Hildebrand and they mm -hmm. have experience doing museums and they, I think, mm -hmm. replanned Storm King. So they work at the scale of, of this kind of landscape. And I think they were incredibly respectful of the existing, the apple orchards and the meadows and, you know, making sure all that was done naturally. Our client loved the woods and the forest and pruning trees and cutting trees and, you know, himself. And, and then the, the actual form around the house had a lot of geometry, which has an interesting sort of reaction to the house design and the pond was where it all came together, I feel, because it sort of reflects the landscape and provided a place for a pavilion that includes one of the sculptures, which is a, it looks like a canoe, but it's actually just a, a canoe-like form called Psyche by the sculptor St. Clair Semin. And, and it's within a pavilion that he designed and we helped him refine and build. So that was a perfect example where we came together with a landscape architect and an artist, and we all pitched in and uh, figure that out it's so stunning and I, I also love the the shape of the pool and how that moves in and kind of leads you to the natural forms of the of the pond yeah so that was designed by uh, again my partner uh, Gregory Gilmartin and he was inspired by Carlo Scarpa the Italian architect and in fact there is a Scarpa sculpture right in the room that leads to the gallery it's a really special thing. And they, they, those great blocks are actually solid granite. They're not even veneer material. Uh, they're literally um, granite. So, I mean, even just the, just the amount of sculpture installed throughout the, the property is. Yeah. And the, the level of sculpture, like the, like the Richard Sarah, which is totally a, a site specific piece that's named for for the property and so it, it, I'm assuming that it was designed for the yes. space. Yes, so Sarah came and met with them and I think pr proposed that piece. Andy Gullsworthy proposed half a dozen different ideas and he commissioned them all. All six um, of them. So, so, <laughs> so Andy Gullsworthy was moved into the town <laughs> and had a house there and brought his family. We ate dinner with his family and it was really interesting talking about the art. And then at the other end, there were six English masons who were completely drunk on beer. 
So who decides where a sculpture like that is going to go? Is is the sculptor choosing the site? And... So I think the sculptor working with our client, who also had a great idea and a great feel for the land. He spent so much time on the land. He knew it mm -hmm. better than any of us. The sculptors, the artists themselves had ideas. And then Reed Hildebrand has done museums and sculpture parks. So they they also had a role. And I wasn't in all of this, you know, mm -hmm. conversations. I mean, I had a call that I had to stamp drawings because the building inspector didn't consider something art. It was actually a building and it's a little shed with a stair that goes down underground and it has a rammed earth chamber, which is a room made of packed earth, but with perfect little cubbies. Every cubby has an apple in it. Mm -hmm. You may have seen it. And those are from the apple orchard. So the building department didn't think that was art. They, they needed an architect stamp. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at that. I was wondering, does someone have to go in and swap out the apples? You know, the point is that that's supposed to represent life and re vitality. So when you go down there, it's cool. And the apples last for six months. Without, they, it's literally like a perfect place to store your apples. They're grow they grow on the trees all around there, and they found the man who was the grandson of the man who originally tended that orchard when it was belonged to some family a hundred years ago. So they brought back the same variety of trees. But Cults really didn't want the apple orchard perfected or have dead trees removed right away. Or have, it's the whole cycle. You see whips of apple trees, and then you see ones that are dead. And in fact, one of the dead ones was the foundation, the center of another hut, which is a dead tree all covered with gray clay, and the ceiling's all covered with gray clay, and that's sort of the counterpoint to the to the preserved apple chamber. So what are the logistics of moving a Richard Serra piece? That is interesting. I, don't, I wasn't there when they did it, but it's, it's a very large crane, the kind you see on super tall building in New York, and then they have to put in a foundation and a, a, a steel collar to receive the piece, and then they lower it in. And, but I, I wasn't there. I think it's an extraordinarily challenging operation, and they're not going anywhere. No. Wow. But I know the, 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 bunker, the bunker art went under, that was a huge excavation, and then they put in pre-stressed concrete vaults that have been used that were manufactured for an airport runway support but they weren't quite on spec even though they you know they couldn't support a 767 but they definitely could support a field so those were then brought to ohio and then put underground and then the rooms were all built underneath these the arches actually support the earth <laughs> i know can we visit <laughs> So the property, I mean, there there are occasionally groups that organize, but no, there's no established program for it. But I mean, the museum might know when and if there are tours. I know that different groups have come to look at it. So what what is your favorite room or feature in the home? I know I have my list. I mean, I love the breakfast room, what Gregory called the Tribune, which is the room at the head of the stair at the top uh, second floor which is a room that has a round balcony that essentially looks down to the entrance and th that's my favorite ceiling and it has this czech inspired metalwork with gears and spikes and it has the amazing light fixture by thaddeus wolf that is like this crystal crazy crystal thing that hangs in the middle the art that happened that he already owned we designed the frames for it just fit perfectly there and they're supported by the architecture and they're they're uh, the artist was named joseph engelhard and these are 
pencil and watercolor uh, sketches for um, a frieze that was the Austrians commissioned for their pavilion at the 1904 World's Fair. So they're sort of of that moment design-wise, and that's that's just an astonishing room. Of course, there's no furniture. It's a perfect architect's room. There's no furniture. It's all about <laughs> architecture. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that 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 was the surprise that that space. So this was such an unusual project, and I'm curious if you and the scale of it was so large, and I'm curious if you started in the same way you start every project, or if you know you had to kind of come at it from a different angle. I mean, it did start more as an arts and crafts symmetrical house, and but and I think that one of the major decisions was putting the garage underneath the house so mm-hmm. that each of the four elevations would be wouldn't be complicated by any uh, you know cars or service wing because often in large houses you find people have a part of the house that's you know symmetrical and sort of resolved and and you know beautiful and then you have maybe a wing that has things which is fine in a less formal house you have a wing with the kitchen and the garage and all that this is actually an object in space you can walk all around it and each facade is different but related and isn't mm-hmm. interrupted by by any asymmetries so so did you just start with this is a family home and we're gonna well we started with very very a lot of specific information including that one wall the library had to fit the walton ford of king kong um and the walton ford of king kong is seven feet by whatever it is 12 feet and believe it or not that's like a big if you design a room around that or eight feet by 12 you you realize it's you have to have a panel that fits that and so I hate to say it, but I think King Kong drove the size of the whole house. <laughs> because once you do that, then you have to scale the room to it. But the house isn't overly large. Mm-hmm. So that was an example of one requirement. Wow. Um, and, and then connecting the gallery through a grotto to the lower part of the land was important. And burying the cars, you wouldn't see them. They were all underground. And then being able to have the depth and structure to then put landscape on top of that so it didn't sort of disappeared. There's so many incredible details. I think one of my favorites is the hand-painted silk dining room wallpaper, which is in kind of this geometric emerald tones. And it's just, it just creates such depth and warmth to this room. Um, and then it, again, like it's styled with, with incredible, the incredible dining room table that you mentioned that room is really everything there is about trees so the green made sense is the table is that beautiful pear wood and then there's a prince piece which is i forget it almost looks like zebra wood i forget what the wood is and then there's a branch on the wall against the green paper you're talking about that is it fell off when when Goldsworthy was putting the clay on the tree <laughs> Actually, oh, his no. little boy was doing that branch because he was so little he could get under there to put the clay on the tr- on the tree. One of the <laughs> the clay was so wet it was heavy, and then it fell off. So they thought, well, why not make that part of the part of the design? That's so cool. Well, this is such just an incredible space, and all of like every fireplace is just so unique and amazing and faceted, and there are just so many the. The ceiling moldings are just outrageous. I mean, there's just no other word for it. They're just so gorgeous. 
and the like every and, and, and the breakfast room is also a favorite of mine especially if there's a niche that i put mirror in the back of the niche and then the, there's a very basically unassuming cabinet white cabinet with one door with with, with a panel a bas-relief panel yeah. um, and it's actually um Coleman Moser's cabinet for Wittgenstein's apartment. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, it does not at all. It looks like a white. Yeah, just but it's yes, but it's so highlighted that it's got to have a story, right? Right, and and, and it, that panel is extraordinary. There are a lot of hexagonal rooms, but that room, sixteen-sided room. Oh yes, I guess if you count every all my every D&D. every plane. Yeah, there you go. Friendsville. I hadn't thought that through. I guess it is. Yeah. That's a really incredible shape room to design for and yeah. to to create an eight-sided room, but then a 16-sided room and make it feel so comfortable. And what I like is they, they the publisher allowed us to put Gregory's drawings in. So in the front of the book, in the essay, there is Gregory's drawing of that room, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Which, I do love just being able to see every single stage and level of the you know often in a design book you'll see the the finished product but right. it's it's interesting to see the, the drawings as well because they're almost like a, they're like a work of art in and of themselves right and those are pencil drawings and they're just really they they really get you there they really tell you what's happening and in that in the drawing he did of that room it's actually a reflected ceiling plan so that you're seeing every break and plane of the ceiling is fun. I'm curious, unrelated to this project, but what just in general, what is your favorite stage of of the building process? Uh, you mean when we're under construction or when we're... No, just the whole, just the the whole, whole process. process. Yeah, start to finish. Do you like that initial meeting? Do you like doing the drawings? Is it the, the final result? What do you look forward to? Uh, we put a great effort into our initial design, so we're not a firm where you come in and you get six or three sketchily option a b c d e we think it's really important that we try to come up with the best possible design and it's 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 more our duty to the client to do that not make them choose a bit of this and a bit of that so it's that moment when a complete presentation is ready and it really feels like it's all come together that i find is very very exciting do you feel like that limits the amount of changes they're going to make because you've thought each, you know, I, guess it, I mean, you if were... you have, I tell people, if you have like five good reasons for why, if someone says, let's move a door, I'll say, fine, you know, I, we're not stubborn, right? But there have to be, I think your responsibility as a designer is to make sure that you, you don't say, or well, I'm not that designer, I'm not Frank Gary. Oh, I because I felt like it. Like that's not a good enough answer. It has to be because it connects well to the next room. The proportion is right. It allows you to do this. It'll it works with the furniture and it, you know, XXX. So if you point to a room and you think that something you've done is not everything has to be like that, but it's good to have many reasons and have them all connect in a meaningful way to your design idea. And that's so when I see the drawings, it's really exciting, and the hand drawings are, are so exciting, and we try to emulate that with CAD, but it's not you know perfect well what a what an absolute curveball to go from arts and crafts to Czech cubism and to learn this whole other language of architecture and and the facets and the geometry involved in it. 
just bravo for taking this on. Thank it's you. just so well, amazing. And I and Seriously. I highly I highly recommend a trip to Prague because Prague is full of unexpected architecture. Whatever you're looking at, there's a chance it will be something that doesn't fit at all into the linear narrative of the, your art history course that you took in college. You know, it's almost like, oh my God, they, they hid this from us so we wouldn't get confused. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. You saw wait, like, what's that? Well, I mean, there's this one, I put a picture of this, of this stair in the Prague Castle that is completely insane. And normally the tracery in Gothic architecture is supposed to follow the, the folds of the planes of the, of the vaults. And, sort of makes sense that way. And there's a room called the Rider Staircase in the Prague Castle where it looks like the tracery was just thrown like wet pasta on the ceiling and some of it's actually hanging down and you know yes. all these confusing things. And so that's exciting, right? Because we, we try to be specialists and know what we're looking at and have reasons as to why mm -hmm. this happened and then that happened. So it's it's entertaining to see a place where for many reasons that are fascinating, not all of which I understand, they repeatedly historically resisted the, uh, you know, the, what was happening in Western Europe in terms of architectural design. They they held out longer with Gothic than they were supposed to. They held out longer with friends, you know, they sort of <laughs> held out and held on to their own version of things. What an amazing place. Wow. Well, your interpretation in this home is just absolutely gorgeous. Well, the, the title of this book is Rowdy Meadow. So search that in Amazon or at your ask for it at your local bookstores. Mm -hmm. It's from Vendome Press. And so they'll, they'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, we do have a question. And this one is a New York apartment. So we have the perfect, perfect person here to help you out with it. This is a very lucky person. Yes. <laughs> um, Consuelo is who wrote in and wrote, Hi, I am somewhat new listener. I just bought my first apartment in Manhattan. It is a one bedroom. I have a weirdly spaced living room and I need some advice. I would like to be able to have the living room functionality, including a TV, as well as having my desk in there, since I don't want to keep my desk in my bedroom. I'm attaching my floor plan and some pictures from the listing. My biggest conundrum is where to put the TV and the seating, considering that you don't want to have a TV facing windows. I feel like there's only one choice, but I don't know how to place seating then. Am I missing something? There's also the issue of the window and the fireplace not being centered. So really, the seating area can't be centered on both. Do you have any advice? Well, first of all, I think she's really lucky that the apartment is facing south on a high floor and is full of light. And also that the living room has the windows on the long side, because normally in York buildings, you have the the window way at the end and you enter from the dark end and then so it's a really good apartment i'm not particularly bothered or stumped by the fact that the fireplace isn't centered on the window i think it can work and i think there are two ways of doing it there may be others but one way is to place an l-shaped sectional in the northeast corner of the room with maybe a club chair maybe a, a lighter chair sort of facing into that corner and then placing the television to the left of the window on the other wall. 
And then that gives you more space at the bedroom end of the room, the living room, to have a larger desk, which could even double as a table if you wanted to, for some reason, eat, have friends over and eat in that room instead of eating in the, in the breakfast room, which is a little small. So I think that the, the sectional in the corner could be one way of doing it. If you were doing that, and in fact, in either option, I th think you could hang a fabric panel in the, there's almost like niches on the fireplace wall. And then maybe if you don't have art, hang two identically sized large mirrors in those openings. I think that would be really cool. The other way of arranging the TV, if you wanted to have the TV at the narrow end of the room, on the east end of the room, you could have a more conventional arrangement of a sofa sofa and two club chairs around the fireplace and the sofa could be facing the television so that would be that would be fine and that would also give you plenty of room towards the bedroom end of the uh, of the space to put the desk against the west wall so i think it can work either way and the other thing is if if you're putting the tv across from the sectional you have to take the door off the hinges because that's just mm -hmm. taking up room and i don't think you'll ever close that door I, am I getting into too much detail? No, <laughs> no, and then never. I, and then I wonder whether the at radiator would maybe, if you don't have little children around who might get scorched by a ra hot radiator, I think the radiator might just look better if you just took off that big clunky box of a cabinet around it and, mm -hmm. and just paid someone to paint it, clean it up, might be better. And I suspect it's smaller than that cabinet. That's kind of a big thing to have in the room. Let me ask a question because I didn't, I'm not sure that I, is it a rule that you can't have your window facing your TV? I mean, I get the glare, the glare argument, but what if you just had some good shades that sort of, whenever, whenever it's a bright day, you can just put the shades down or something and there's, it cuts the glare. I mean, normally, unless you're watching a lot of daytime soaps, like a friend of mine does, <laughs> it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any rule. In our house, our television faces a window, and it's not bad, but that's because it's a north-facing window. South-facing window is tough. I mean, it's really hard mm -hmm. to look at a screen if it has really blasting, and even if you put blinds in, it's going to be really hard to look at it. That's why I think okay. I think that's why I think it belongs on the east wall or the, uh -huh. the south wall facing north, but it's a really... It's a great little apartment. It, you're right. Like it is so light filled. I know. And I, I looked at, of course, being in New York, I looked, I studied the view out the window because I <laughs> could. So you know I what could, neighborhood I could, it is. I could right? almost, if I had spent more time, I could identify it exactly. But that, that is wild. We're not that is wild. <laughs> Your reader's privacy is important, right? Your followers' privacy. <laughs> This pretty. It's a beautiful view too. But so. uh, the fireplace, obviously, working fireplace. It's a big window. I mean, it's all good. And she's got yeah. this great, like, it's hard to kind of see, but there's like a some pretty sort of inlay, like the design of the floor. of the floor of the floor. Yeah, I guess it has like this really pretty border around it. It's, it's yeah, that follows the space. that follows the edge of the room. It's very mm -hmm. nice. So. Congratulations! Yeah, your first good apartment. It's very exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I think we've answered our questions. Good luck, Consuelo, and please send us after photos. Yeah, I want to. I want to find out which yeah. she does A, B, C, or neither of them, or none of them. She's <laughs> like that architect knew nothing. <laughs> nothing. But you, you have to be there. I, you have to. You have to be there. That's. I mean, that's very sure too. 
Yeah. And, and as always, we suggest people get into our room planner tool, put in a sectional into the floor plan and, you know, just test it out. Like do a couple different layouts and see what you think is going to fit for what's your desk. Put that in there and all that stuff. Always draw the floor plan. I imagine you can give us that stamp of approval, Peter. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, buy your new book? Okay. So Amazon, if you type in my name or Rowdy Meadow, you'll find this latest book and some others. And uh, on Instagram, it's uh, at uh, Peter Penoyer Architects. We're there. And our website is ppapc.com. And the website, we do spend a lot of time keeping our website up to date, new pictures. And we also have a house coming, this allegedly going to be an Architectural Digest in November, which I think means you'll see it in October or October. So, yeah. Like late yeah. October? Yeah. Okay. We get, look forward to that. I have to say, I love your book, A House in the Country. With Thank you. About your home with Katie Ritter it is just delightful so if you're ordering rowdy meadow go ahead and get a two for one toss it in (laughs) and that's our show you can find all of the show notes on our blog howtodecorate.com slash podcast to send in a decorating dilemma email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space and of course be sure to follow us on social media at ballard designs don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!